Anyway, I'm so thankful for the opportunity on behalf of my wife, of course. We're so thankful that we could be here uh, after so many years of, uh, of having connected with you. Finally, we are back, and uh, it is our delight and privilege to be here and share our ministry, our burden. We are so thankful for your partnership and your prayers. So, um, yes, Pastor, I do preach usually about an hour and ten minutes, but... Uh, <laughs> um, I'm not going to stretch it. You know, you might not, uh, you might be adjusting a little bit too far here. But I was wrestling with a question. By the way, I wanted to share a blessing. Uh, is that uh, this afternoon, uh, my friends from, they came from our members of our church. From, they're now based in Sacramento. The Arutas, I mentioned them this morning. So uh, that was Arnold, Grace, and their two children. So his son, Matthew, this afternoon came to know Christ as personal Savior. So what a thrill. I said, figured it really was the of the Lord to bring us here in this part of the globe just to get that one soul saved. It made the, word, the trip worth it all. So uh, we praise the Lord for that. Okay, so I was wrestling. Lord, what would you want me to preach to a well-taught congregation? I'm sure Pastor Harder, Pastor Scott, has been expounding the text of Scripture and preaching to you the Word of God. So I figured, what, is it, what else am I going to tell these people? If he has been preaching, they have been preaching the word of God all these years, then what is there for me to say that has not been left, that has been unsaid? So I figured, well, finally, this is what the Lord laid in my heart. Luke chapter 6, perhaps a very familiar passage to many of us. Luke chapter 6, verses 46 to 49. Very simple parable, lesson, poignantly pointed out by the Lord Jesus Christ. And let's read this portion of Scripture responsibly. I'm going to request everybody to please stand up. We'll read verse, I read verse 46, you read verse 47, and when we reach verse 49, we'll read it together. <clears throat> Reading from verse 46, Jesus here is speaking, And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Whosoever cometh to me, and heareth my sayings, and doeth them, I will show you to whom he is like. He is like a man which built a house and dig deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose and the stream beat vehemently upon that house and could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. 49. But he that heareth and doeth not is like a man that without a foundation built a house upon the earth against which the stream did beat vehemently and immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we humbly come before thee once again. We are so thankful to you, to you for saving our souls. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for Calvary, as always, for sending your son to die on the cross in our stead to be our sin bearer and sin substitute. Then thank you for raising him from the dead. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who has authored the Bible, the word, the word inspired, so that we will know even today how to be saved and know how to live. So we ask, dear Father, that you will open our eyes once again, that we may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Give us hearts that are receptive to thy truth, to receive thy word with meekness, the engrafted word which is able to deliver or save our souls. And we shall thank you for it, for this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> All right. Jesus here is teaching his disciples, <clears throat> and he asks a poignant question. Why call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? 
I am convinced that Jesus is bribing two points, either one of two points. He's saying, either obey me or stop calling me Lord. Why call him Lord, meaning master, if we are not going to obey what he says? So why call me Lord, Lord, if you will not do, obey the things which I say? Either you obey me or stop calling me Lord, Jesus is saying. So I figured, what is there to say in a pulpit like this? Rich with treasure from the Word of God. You hear the Word of God, a solid preaching, and I figure this is the challenge I think that God wants for me as well as for all of us. You've heard so much, and to whom much is given, much is required. Thus, the more we hear from the Word of God, the more it is expected from us by the Lord to live a life that is in conformity to His Word and His will. So why call me Lord, Lord, if you will not do the things which I say? The Philippines is cla- claims to be the only Christian nation in Asia, but it is not Christian in any biblical sense. I understand your country is called a Christian nation as well. But the way things are going, as I follow the news, apparently things are not happening quite, not, not so encouraging. And just to show a little bit more of what's happening in our country is... Uh, if you saw the map of the Philippines earlier, so the western part of the Philippines is what we call the West Philippine Sea. And exactly in that area is China has been flexing its muscles because they claim that to be theirs, the South China Sea. And there has been tension brewing there so that some years ago, during the time of uh, President Noy uh, Noy Aquino, this was brought to the international courts to decide what, whose territory was that it, uh, owns it. And the international courts cited in our favor and saying that 200 nautical miles from shore is actually owned by the country. Yet despite of that, of course, China has been flexing its muscles and claiming that that is their territory. A few months ago, Chi- uh, the reports tell us that China, Chinese, Chinese are, vessels have been trying to occupy the area and they're now beginning to shoot some of our fishermen with uh, water cannons. More recently, they've been shooting our Philippine Coast Guard. So about three weeks ago, our president said, we are going to stand up to China. One of the senators said, we have two warships. They have 25. It's time to run, okay? says one of our senators way back, see? So that's the situation, but our president said that. Why? Because he said he was, he was looking to the backing of the allies. I understand Japan, Australia, Taiwan, and other neighboring countries have significantly increased their military budget because they're preparing for war. And, of course, we're looking up to our big brother America as a major ally and hopefully things can stabilize things there. But, you know, this all of this to share with you that things are building, tension is building, and but thankfully our hope is not in government because our hope is in the Lord. Amen. These are all indications that, you know, with the weakening of uh, this part of the world is the emboldening of China, Russia, North Korea, Iran, which are all, many of these countries are mentioned in the book of Ezekiel and the book of Revelation. It's interesting. It appears that the stage is being set for the any moment return of our Lord Jesus Christ, we know to be the rapture of the church. But let's go back to the text. Jesus said, why call me Lord, Lord, if you will not do the things which I say? 
So as I already pointed out, Christ is either saying, obey me or stop calling me Lord. And as we will look here in various portions of scripture this evening, we will see that Jesus Christ himself recognized the authority of the word of God in his personal life, in his conduct, in his ministry, in his controversies. And if he did so, should we not do the same So if you claim to be a born-again Christian, if you say Jesus Christ is Lord, we claim to be Christians or a Christian nation, then if we are, then therefore we should be submitting to the authority of His Word. So we're going to look at examples or incidents or episodes in the life of our Savior as to how He recognized the authority of the Word of God in His personal, number one, personal, in His personal controversies, second in his ministry, and thirdly in his personal conduct. So turn with me please into the Gospel of Matthew and in chapter 12. In Matthew chapter 12, we have heard the episode of Jesus Christ as he was conducting his ministry, his earthly ministry. He found himself often in the midst of controversy with the religious leaders of his day, particularly the scribes and the Pharisees. And notice what it says in Matthew excuse me, chapter 12, verses 38, all the way to 41. Then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. Scribes and Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, they were supposed to be familiar with the Old Testament scriptures, but they would not take Christ's word for it and would not believe him. That's why they were looking for some more signs. We want some more signs before we would believe you. In essence, is what they were saying. Verse 39, but he answered and said unto them, Jesus' reply, an evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign and there shall no sign be given unto it, given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonah. See, can you imagine what how the Pharisees the scribes felt? An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. I cannot imagine the scribes and Pharisees saying, boy, we're looking forward to hear from you, hear from you the next Sunday. Yeah. Because he just basically rightly rebuked them. But notice what he said. What Jesus' reply was, you want a sign? I'm going to refer you to the scriptures. And of all the portions of the Old Testament, he refers to the book of Jonah. One of the most questioned books in the Old Testament. The book of Jonah, people could not believe that a real literal whale or a great fish would swallow up uh, this prophet Jonah. So Jesus said, I will give you a sign. It's a sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. What sign was he referring to? Apparently he was referring to his death and resurrection. So that that would be the ultimate sign for people to finally say, this must be the Son of God. He must be the Messiah that has been predicted way back in the Old Testament scriptures. But he went back to the book of Jonah. And to this day, there are a lot of people who claim to be Christians, but they're actually liberals. They deny the, the authority and the inerrancy of Scripture. And they would say, no, the story of Jonah cannot be true. That reminds me of a story of an eight-year-old girl who was starting to share her faith on elderly man. And he, she was saying, you know, sir, if you die today, you, you are without Christ, then you would go to hell. And uh, But if you trust in Christ as Savior, then you would go to heaven. God will forgive you of your sins. And then the elderly man, the skeptic that he was, he said, well, you don't believe everything that's written in that book, do you? 
So the young girl started scratching her head and said, like what, sir? And he said, like the book of Jonah. I mean, all those gastric juices must have suffocated Jonah. He must have died there. There's no way that that actually happened. The young girl said, well, you know what, sir? <clears throat> when I get to heaven, I will ask him. That's what she said. So the other skeptic said, well, what if he's not there? Well, then if he's not there, sir, then you ask him. There are only two places to go to anyway, in heaven or hell. And she was an apologetic there. She defended her faith at her, at her age, eight, eight years old. And she said, if, you're, if he's not in heaven, then you ask him. You'll be in hell. You see, the truth is, whatever the Bible says is actually true. Jonah, as the Bible says, exactly as the writer of scripture said, as he was moved by the Holy Spirit, was indeed inside the, the whale, inside the, 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 the belly of the whale, so that eventually he got stuck there for about three days and three nights until eventually he was uh, vomited out. So there are people today who do the same thing. They will question the authority of scripture. They think they're too smart to question the very authority of God's word itself. See, it reminds me again of a story of... Uh, of uh, the story of Moses, okay, the story of Moses, here they were, and they were talking about the story of the Red Sea, a Christian and a, and a skeptic, and then as uh, they were talking about that story about the parting of the river until the crossing of the Red Sea, and then um, the skeptic said, you know what, there's a recent discovery, scholars say that these Israelites did not go through the Red Sea. They went through the Reed Sea, the Sea of Reeds. So what's the point? The Sea of Reeds is not, it's just one foot deep. In other words, no high walls of the water. It's just one foot deep. And therefore, they could have easily crossed the, Red, the Sea of Reeds. So the Christian said, well, then praise the Lord. And the skeptic, what are you praising God? I just told you there's no miracle of the water or it was just one foot. Well, then praise the Lord, Christian said. So what are you praising God? In other words, Pharaoh and the Egyptian soldiers drowned just one foot deep of the sea. Either way you look at it, it's still a miracle. It's God's work at in, in intervening in the affairs of human history. Listen, the Bible is the word of God. And therefore... It is ours to simply submit to its authority. Jesus himself, in the midst of controversy, did not hesitate to go back to the authority of Scripture. And if you and I find ourselves, as we share our faith to others, find ourselves in the midst of controversy, we should not hesitate to go back to the Scriptures, just exactly what Jesus did. You say, Pastor, what if he's an atheist? Doesn't matter. The Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. The Spirit of God can use His Word to illumine, to convict, and ultimately to bring regeneration to the heart of the repentant sinner. So that's the power of the Word of God. Our confidence is not in our skill, not in our explanation. Our confidence is in the power of the Spirit as He uses the quickening Word of God to bring conviction and ultimate conversion to the unconverted sinner. So that's what the, that's what Jesus did. Listen, and if Jesus submitted to the authority of the Scripture, then should we not do the same? Let's turn to another passage of Scripture, Matthew chapter 15. Then came, reading from verse 1, then came to Jesus, scribes and Pharisees. Here they are again, the religious group of his day, which were of Jerusalem, saying, Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. So here they were. These were 
the scribes and Pharisees, they were always finding fault, looking for some issue that they can raise against the Lord Jesus Christ. Finally, they thought, we found an issue. He broke a man-made tradition. What was that tradition again? Verse 2, why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? What tradition was that? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. Big deal. He didn't wash his hands before eating bread. How did Jesus reply? Notice in verse 3. He answered and said unto them, Then why do you also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? For God commanded, saying, and he goes back, This time also, again to the Old Testament, he goes to the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, and says, Honor thy father and mother, and he that curses father and mother, let him die the death. He goes back to the Scriptures, the Old Testament. In other words, there was an issue way back then, it's called Korban in the Gospel of Mark, and the Korban was actually a man-made tradition made by the Jews that uh, young professionals, uh, of course, it was the responsibility of godly Jewish family, when their parents get into retirement age, that part of honoring their parents was to take care of them during their retirement years. But the Jews established a man-made tradition. If you are going to give your money to the offering to the temple, then you are free from your responsibility of taking care of your retired parents. That was the man-made tradition. So while they were finding fault against Christ for violating a man-made tradition of not washing hands before eating bread, now Jesus is saying, you you just established a man-made tradition at the expense of obedience to the Word of God. The Bible says, honor your father and mother. And one way of honoring father and mother is what? Is by taking care of them during their retirement years. But, they, but you are saying instead that, verse, verse 5, but you say... Whosoever shall say to his father or his mother, It is a gift by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, and honor not his father or his mother, he shall be free, free from that obligation of taking care of their parents. And thus, notice what Jesus says, Have you made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition? We were just talking about that earlier. See, when people regard man-made tradition at par with the Word of God or more authoritative than the Word of God, then this is what Jesus is saying. That was wrong. In fact, notice, did you notice how Jesus called these people who regarded man-made tradition far more authoritative than the Word of God? Notice the words that came from the lips of the God of love. Verse 7, You hypocrites, Jesus said, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draw nigh unto me with their lips, but their hearts are far away. Uh, rather, these people draw nigh unto me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. All right, these men worship God, all right. But Jesus said they worship God in vain. It was a false kind of worship because they regarded man-made tradition equally authoritative or even more authoritative than the Word of God. Isn't that what's happening in Roman Catholic circles? And perhaps in other religious circles. See, the Word of God is our final authority. And Jesus drives this home very clearly that God's Word is more authoritative than any man-made tradition or teaching. 
That's the point that Jesus is driving at here. So again, once again, we find Jesus' example that he submitted to the authority of the scriptures in his controversy. Turn with me again to Matthew chapter 19, another episode in Christ's earthly ministry. And again, he was confronted by these religious scribes and Pharisees. Reading from verse 3. The Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him. In other words, they wanted to put him to the test. I've, I've been in the ministry for quite some time now to be able to detect. There are people who ask questions because they want to inquire. They want to know, learn more. But there are people who ask questions because they want to put you to the test. This is the Pharisees and scribes were belonging to this second group. They wanted to put Christ to the test. They tempted him, as we read in verse 3, and saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? To put away. This is an issue, an ethical, moral issue. It's the issue of divorce. I'm not going to discuss the merits or demerits of the arguments for or against the issue of divorce. The point I would like for us to see is how this, notice how Jesus handled the issue way back then. Reading further in verse 4. Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? There were two rabbis. One's, one's name was Hamai and Shimel. And these two rabbis had two different schools of thought. One of them took the position that a person can divorce his wife for any cause. If you burn the toast or the rice, that's sufficient ground for divorce, says one Jewish thought. The other one said, no, it has to be somehow due to fornication or some kind of adultery. So this was a raging debate in Christ's day. And these Pharisees and scribes wanted to know whose camp was Jesus was, Shammai or Hillel. So they were trying to catch him, tempting him. And notice how Jesus answered it. He didn't belong to any camp. He said in verse 4, he answered and said unto them, have you not read? That he which made them at the beginning made them male and female. So he goes back where? He goes back to the scriptures, this time to the book of Genesis. Have you? You've not been reading, aren't you? Jesus is saying. From the very beginning, God created them male and female and said, quoting Genesis chapter 2, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore, they are no more twain, but one flesh, and what therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. Once again, wonderful picture or example of how the Lord demonstrated in his earthly ministry as he was faced with controversy to always go back to our final authority. Our final court of appeal is, of course, the word of God. Not the philosophies of men, not the brilliance of scholars, but the word of God itself. So that's how Jesus handled these issues in the midst of his controversy. But more than that, as we continue studying of the life of our Savior with the limited time that we have, turn me to the Gospel of Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. Not only did Jesus submit to the authority of the Scriptures in his controversies, he submitted to the authority of the Scriptures in his ministry. How did Jesus Christ conduct ministry? This is a big issue in many Christian circles today. How do we conduct ministry so that we can grow? The mega church mindset. I mean, they adopt the philosophy of what we call pragmatism. Pragmatism is a philosophy that teaches that if it works, it must be right. Biblical Christianity, on the other hand, says 
it is right because God's word says so, whether it works or not. But pragmatism twists that it must work. Therefore, if it works, it must be right. So in Mark chapter 8, we are we find here how the Lord conducted ministry in Mark chapter 8, verse 31. It says, And he, Jesus, began to teach them that the Son of Man, notice that next word, must, Greek word dei, it is a necessity. That's what the word means. The Son of Man must suffer many things. Now, mind you, when you, if you read the passage before that, Jesus' ministry was beginning to grow. He, was, he had multitudes following him. They saw the feeding of the thousands. They saw the crowd growing, and it's easy to go and get lost in the crowd with this megachurch mindset. Whoa, there are a lot of people going there, and therefore, this must be the right thing. Now, Jesus starts pointing out some more biblical truth and says, the Son of Man must suffer. Can you imagine if you were one of those disciples in the days of the Lord Jesus Christ? And you were going through all the trouble of going under the, being uh, ruled by the, under, under the Roman Empire, heavily taxed by them, and you were hoping somebody, some kind of a political deliverer can come into the picture and deliver us from this tyrannical Roman Empire. And as they were seeing the crowds growing, during the ministry of Christ, they figured maybe he could be that man who can topple down the Roman Empire and therefore we can be freed from all their bondage of taxes and other, other burdens that they place on us. So, but notice how Jesus replied, uh, states his case here in Mark 8.31. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things. You say, whoa, hold it. I'm already part of this mega group. I mean, we have a huge following and you must suffer? Doesn't make sense. But that's what Jesus said. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and of the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. If you and I were there, I would probably ask this question. Well, why must you? We have a big crowd. We have a huge following, and why must you have to go through this? There's only one answer to that. We find it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul, in this great resurrection chapter, explains to us what the gospel is. I'm reading from verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand, and by which also you are saved. If you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all, again, it was the gospel, which I also received, how that what? Christ died for our sins. Did you notice the next four words? According to the scriptures. And that he was buried. And that he rose again the third day. Notice again the next four words. According to the scriptures. So if you and I were to ask Lord Jesus Christ when he said Mark 8.31, why must you go through it? Because I must go through it according to what the scriptures say. Jesus conducted his ministry according to what stood written. It was his final court of appeal. And I'm preaching to you as a minister of the gospel, as I preach to every one of us here as we continue to serve him. We ought to conduct ministry according to the scriptures. We will always be tempted to be pragmatic, to find ways and means to fill up our space. And we're thankful I mean, this morning, I saw a good crowd this morning, and it looks like this has been going on in this ministry, and that's basically because 
Well, it's because of the preaching and teaching of the Word of God, where we don't have to look for some gimmicks in order to get people into our pews. Our confidence is in the power of the Word of God, so we preach it straightforwardly because it is God's Word and allow the Spirit of God to do His work in, use, in, in using His Word to convict and eventually convert people to Him. So Christ submitted to the authority of the Scriptures in His controversies. He submitted to the authority of the Scriptures in His ministry. And if He did that, should we not do the same? See, we are all waiting for, hopefully, the words of our Lord Jesus Christ when we stand before Him at the judgment seat, the well done, thou good and faithful servant. The Apostle told Timothy that a servant or a person has to be able to comply with the rules of the Master if he is going to be well-pleasing to his Lord. And that's exactly what we should be doing. We know what is right and wrong, what is truth and error, what is pleasing to God, and what is not according to what He says, not what according to what men say. So, He submitted to the authority of Scriptures in His controversies and also in His ministry. But it's interesting, He also submitted to the authority of the Scriptures in His personal conduct or in His personal life. We see that in Luke chapter 4, and it's parallel passage in Matthew 4, but we'll stay in Luke, Luke chapter 4. We have here the inspired record of the temptation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was by, tempted by no less than the devil himself, and we read in verse 4, verse 1 rather, that Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness being 40 days tempted of the devil. Okay. And in those days he did eat nothing, and when they were ended, he afterward hungered. Okay. The Bible clearly teaches Jesus is God, but when he tabernacled in human flesh, he did not leave his deity. He never ceased to be God, but he subjected himself to the limitations of humanity without ceasing to be God. And therefore, here's an instance when Jesus Christ was showing his humanity. He became hungry because he was a human being. And we read, after 40 days of not eating, therefore he became hungry. The devil saw this as an opportunity. Verse 3, And the devil said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. Okay. So here he was. The devil was trying to appeal to personal appetites. And by the way, this is the devil's modus operandi in order to allure us away from the will of God as well. He will try to appeal to our personal appetites. Now listen, not all desires are sinful. All of our desires, many of our desires are God-given. My desire for the opposite sex is God-given. My desire for, I know it's debatable, for ice cream is God-given. I believe so. See, but there's nothing sinful about that. But the moment we try to satisfy those appetites outside the boundaries of the Word of God, then that becomes sin. That becomes lust, in other words. So here, Jesus Christ was hungry. Nothing wrong if you're hungry. Is there something wrong if you're hungry to eat food? Nothing wrong. But normally, that's how we argue. I'm hungry, so therefore I can eat food. So here in this particular instance, the devil comes, Jesus is hungry, come on, satisfy your appetite. Ask you a question. If Jesus, at this time being hungry, ate food, would he have sinned? Have you ever thought of that? Well, he's hungry. 
so he would eat. Would that have been sinful? It's interesting how Jesus responded here. Sometimes that's how we argue when we are in similar situations. We have these appetites, and then we say, what's wrong? The minus will satisfy it. But Jesus did not argue that way. Notice how he responded in verse, um, after he said in verse 2, the devil said unto him, if I'll be the Son of God, command this stone that it be made red. And Jesus answered him, saying, quoting scripture, it is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. In other words, my basis for course of action, my basis for belief and behavior is not my appetites, not, what, not what's pleasing to me or what satisfies my, my desires. What should be my course of action to be based on what is written. So Jesus quotes the book of Deuteronomy and says, Yes, we all live by bread. We all need bread. But man should not live by bread alone. But we live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Jesus did not submit to the temptation of the devil to begin with. It's the devil giving the suggestion. Whatever came out of the devil's mouth is also from, is obviously from the devil. And therefore, it would have been wrong for the Lord Jesus Christ to yield even at this time when he was just simply hungry. It was the devil suggesting. But Jesus said, I'm not going that direction. You know why? And he quotes the scripture and saying, I'm going, staying in my, on my ground according to what stands written. And what stands written is, I must live not by, word, by, not by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Jesus made sure that every step that he made was according to what stood written, not according to his appetites. That should be a challenge to us. I know many times we make our decisions and try to justify our decision based on, I just want it, I'm hungry, etc. But the question is, more, a more important question, is this what God, what pleases God? Is this according to what stands written? So the devil tried to appeal to the appetites of our Lord, and he did not yield. The devil will try to appeal to our appetites. We have to be very careful and make sure that our course of action be according to what stands written, just as Jesus did. Second temptation, the devil taking him up into a high mountain showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Okay, so he was appealing to his avarice. Okay, I can give you all of this. The devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee, and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will, I give it. Remember, the devil is the prince of the power of the air. He's the god of this world at this time. God is allowing him to, to in a sense, exercise that authority, even in his wicked state. And here's the devil alluring the Lord Jesus Christ. I can give you all of this. Have you ever had an offer like that? Just follow me and I will give you all of this. Appealing to your covetousness, your covetous heart, your avarice. And Christ very carefully made sure, listen, where does he go for proper course of action? He goes back to what stood written. He says in verse uh, verse 7, the devil said, If thou therefore wilt worship me, all shall be thine. Really? Everything will be mine? All of these material benefits will be mine? You see, tangible material stuff is very appealing. And by the way, let me remind you, 
I guess this question may have been asked you already before. Uh, Steve Jobs, okay, perhaps an epitome of uh, somebody who has fulfilled the American dream. Many, all of us know that he died. Did you know how much he left when he died? Exactly. He left everything. When you and I die, we will leave everything. And that is why it's important that if God has blessed us with plenty, listen, we don't have to feel guilty if God blesses us with plenty. We have to be thankful. At the same time, we ought to be using what God has given us and to invest it for eternity. And this is exactly how the, the devil was trying to play words here in order to appeal to the avarice of the Lord Jesus Christ. But he didn't have a sinful nature. But nonetheless, it was a very tempting and alluring proposal. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, goes back to the scripture, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Never am I going to bow down to you, because the Bible says so. The word of God says so, that I should worship the Lord thy God, and him only thou shalt serve. Very clear to our Savior what his proper course of action should be in the midst of this temptation. After being appealed to in his ambitions, rather in his uh, appetites, and now his avarice, notice the devil now attempts another avenue to allure our Savior to sin. Same avenue he does to all of us. We read this in verse 9 and all to verse 11. And he brought him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from hence, for it is written. Wow. It is written. Now the devil is quoting scripture. By the way, I'm sure today in many pulpits today, the devil has quoted scripture. Oh, dearly beloved, you know, God helps those who help themselves. By the way, that's not, that's not in Scripture, okay? But the devil is in the, is in the business of, you know, wearing a sotana or perhaps a goat and tie and opening up the Scripture. But he will use the Scripture and twist it, quote it out of context. Now, we are Bible-believing Christians. We go to the Scripture, but we have to be very careful and under, make sure that every passage we read is read in its proper context. And here's what, G, what the devil did. He quoted Scripture. It is written. He shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash, anytime thou dash thy foot against a stone. The devil now quoting scripture. And you know, did you know that the devil has a doctorate in theology? He perhaps is more familiar with the Bible than many of us. But he knows how to twist and quote scripture out of context. Now, notice, Jesus, uh, in, in our country especially, I don't know how it is here, but I think in charismatic circles this is happening. But in our country, with all the mysticism that's taking place, some people believe that you can drive away the devil by quoting scripture. In this text, it is the devil who was quoting scripture. Okay. I remember during the Edson Revolution, we call that in 1986 in our country, when uh, 
the President Marcos was toppled down from his office so that Mrs. Corazon Aquino was eventually placed in, in authority. And there was a long highway, the main highway in, in Epifanio de los Santos Avenue, where a lot of people gathered and rallied on support of Mrs. Aquino. And on one side of the highway were the Roman Catholics. They were holding their rosary beads and the tanks were coming and they were raising those rosaries thinking that maybe some mystical power will go out of that, that rosary bead in order to stop the tanks. That's mysticism. That's not Christianity. On the other side of the highway were the supposed born-again Christians. They did not have the rosary beads, but they had the Bible, and they were racing the Bible thing. The Word of God is powerful, and they were thinking some power will come out of this book so in order to put the stop to the tanks. That's still the same. It's still mysticism. We do not drive away the devil by simply quoting scripture because as we see in this passage, the devil himself quotes scripture. There was a time in many Christian circles, perhaps two, three decades ago, when there were people who thought that they can drive away the, those territorial spirits. Oh, spirit of poverty, I rebuke you, spirit of... When the Bible says, you know what? We don't have to look for the demon behind every bush. First Peter chapter 5, God's word tells us, it is the devil who is a, like a hungry, roaring lion. It is he who is seeking whom he may devour. And Peter says in First Peter 5, how do you deal with that? Whom resist? How? By being steadfast in the faith. Yeah. Holding your ground the truth of the word of God. The devil will try every possible means to get you off track from God's word, from that straight and narrow path. And he says, yo, well, go turn left. Oh, maybe you should turn right. And the Christian should say, well, ho, ho, hold it. This is a straightened path. This is what God's word tells me how to take my path. Therefore, I should hold my ground. That's what Peter is saying. Resist by being steadfast in the faith. This is exactly how Jesus illustrated this principle. He was being tempted of the devil, but verse 12, and he was, the devil was quoting scripture this time, and we have to be very careful because we are Bible believers, and the devil is in the business of quoting scripture out of context. We should be able to detect that right away, that it's out of context. So verse 12 says, and Jesus answering said unto him, it is said, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. He goes back to the authority of the scriptures. So when the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed from him for a season. I believe this Jesus Christ modeled exactly what Peter said years later in his epistle. 1 Peter chapter 5. When the devil seeks whom he may devour, you are to resist. Hold your ground. Being steadfast in the faith. So the key is to know the Bible well enough. So that knowing scripture, this is what God's will is for me, I just simply obey. This is what scripture says, I simply obey. And the devil will say, let's go left. No, no, I stay in scripture. Go right. No, 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 no left, no right. Just hold your ground on the truth of the word of God, exactly how Jesus did it. So let me just challenge us, all of us here. Listen, we hear much of Scripture, we study Scripture in this church, in your homes, and what a blessing it is to know this book. It is God's inerrant, inspired, infallible, authoritative word, and it remains relevant to Christians even in the 21st century. It will remain relevant.
because it is God's eternal word. The grass will wither, the flower will fade, but the word of our God shall stand forever. So let us not allow ourselves to be duped or deceived by the devil and get sidetracked. If Jesus himself submitted to the authority of the scripture in his controversies, in his ministry, and in his personal conduct, should we not do the same? Remember Jesus said, why call me Lord, Lord, if you will not do the things which I say? So let us leave, let, let, let us leave this as a challenge to every one of us. The more to whom much is given, much is required. So let me challenge you, brethren. Let's get back to the Word of God and simply obey it. doesn't have to be complicated. The Bible is very clear. Just follow and obey. And you, have, you can never go wrong by following the Word of God because His precepts are right and pure and pristine, consistent with God's perfect and pristine character. So the challenge is very plain and simple. Let me close by turning you again to Luke chapter 6. The passage we started, <clears throat> he said, Why call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? And Jesus further drives his home, point home by saying, Whosoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you to whom he is like. He is like a man which built a house and dig deep and laid upon the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently and upon that house and could not shake it for it was founded upon a rock. On the other hand, verse 49, but he that hears and doeth not is like a man that without a foundation built a house upon the earth against which the stream uh, did beat vehemently and immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. The Lord has given us our warning, the warning we need to heed. The more we hear the word of God, the more we are accountable. So I challenge you, brethren, as I speak to myself, let us heed the word of God. Our Father, we humbly come before thee. We thank you for the word incarnate who died on the cross for our sins. We thank you for the word inspired, authored by the Holy Spirit, so that we will not only know how to be saved, but also know how to live. We thank you for the abundance of spiritual treasure we can enjoy in our families or in this church that preaches the truth of the word of God uncompromisingly so help us lord to stay on course until we finish like paul and finish our course with joy we shall thank you for it in jesus name amen